I saw your be good baker running by again the other day, says I to old Mr. Brennan. Ah, yes, says he. I've never seen her stand still. And she's running rings around the rest of us with our Brennan's be good bread. Only 60 calories a slice. 60 calories, says I. That's just a whole meal, is it? No, says he. It's the whole meal, the whole grain, and the waste. 60 calories a slice and high in fiber, whatever way it slices. That's why anything baked is better with Brennan's. Today's bread today. On this week's Big Tech Show, Ireland's biggest drone delivery company looks set to cover Dublin by the end of the year. MANA boss Bobby Healy tells us about his goal to be one of the biggest companies in the world. We want to win big here. We don't want to be one player of a 500 different drone companies. We want to be the biggest thing the world has ever seen. We want to be in every single suburban household on the planet. To do that, you start with things that are high adoption, high frequency products. You go straight to the coffees and the takeaway food. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. The good and the bad of the provincial football championships were on show over the weekend as we were treated to an epic in Ulster and yet another turkey shoot in the Leinster Decider at Croke Park. Welcome to the Throwing Football Show. Will Slattery here with you and I'm delighted to be joined for our chat today by Frank Roach and Connor McKeown. We'll start with yesterday in Ulster, lads. First and foremost, obviously a really exciting game in Clonus. Derry winning back-to-back Ulster titles after a dramatic penalty shootout victory over Armagh. The build-up was dominated by the ongoing situation involving Derry manager Rory Gallagher who has stepped away from his role after allegations of serious domestic abuse were made against him by his ex-wife, Nicola. So that was the kind of the backdrop the game was played out under Connor. We'll see how the story develops over the coming you know days and weeks. But in the meantime, there was an Ulster final to be played out in very, you know, difficult circumstances for, for both teams, I'd imagine. But the game itself, you know, really was a, an exciting, thrilling game. Derry looked out on their feet at various stages, but battled back to, to get that back-to-back title. I think we very welcome that there was such... A gripping game in the end, you know, by the end of the game, into the second half, you were completely enthralled by what was going on at the pitch. Um, and I think that was probably the best kind of a result after a very, very strange uh, week surrounding the Ulster Championship of a build-up. And, you know, the broader context for the game as well is, you know, does it save the provincial championships now? You know, like, is the, the, the I suppose, the, the fact that it was a sellout in Clonus and we had an Ulster final for the ages, I think people will use that as, uh, you know, a sign that the provincial championships are worth preserving. But um, no, the game itself, like I thought Armagh were basically the better team all through the game, but they just couldn't quite catch up after the goal. The goal was a horrendous goal to concede in an Ulster final and it was really poor. There were three players who didn't really do anything, including a goalkeeper who only half went to the ball. Um, and they'll be tearing their hair out because after that, Armagh were basically the better team, but they found it diff- more difficult to get scores. I've had an extra time when they went two points up again. Armagh, we're going to see it out. Um, but again, Derry just found it a little bit easier to to get their scores. And I, and I thought that in the two guys, um, Shane McGuigan up front, who's had an incredible season, and he's definitely kind of leading the way um, behind that. And then Brendan Rodgers as well. Those two players, I thought Derry had the two, the two outstanding uh, performers on the day. So, um, you know, there's something vaguely tragic about the Zermatt team as well. You know, to be the first team to lose two penalty shootouts in the championship is, you know, it's fairly, fairly cruel, you know, and, and there's no amount of practice and penalties that's ever going to, it's ever really going to change, you know, the kind of element of, of fortune and everything else that goes into a penalty shootout in the big championship game. So, you know, it's a big blow for them and it's a huge one for Derry because, um, you know, had they lost yesterday after everything that went on last week, um, 
you know, there would be a lot of scrutiny around the team as to whether the kind of win was going to go out of their sails. But, you know, to come from where they've come from a couple of years ago, Division 4, to win back-to-back Buster titles, you know, marks them out as being, you know, a serious team with, with justifiable all other prospects, I would imagine. Yeah, Frank, like that extra time period when, when as Connor said, I'm our two up and, you know, watching on television, the commentary team kept referring to how dead on their feet that Derry looked and to find that kind of reserve of, of energy to, to kick three scores in a row and then obviously ultimately get paid back for the penalty shootout. Like they, they found it from somewhere. Like, you know, it, it really was a remarkable turnaround. Oh, very much so. Like, and, and it, it was funny, like, I mean, the first half, I think she just rewatched the first half there now before I came on because I was in Pro Park at, it was a slow burner. There was a lot of poor enough football in the first half, but it just, it gradually got better, better and better as it went on. And, and the drama of it towards the end as well. I mean, uh, Derry very nearly won it in extra time. But the quality of their penalties, bar arguably Shane, Shane Wiggins, he got a little bit lucky with his one. The quality of their penalties and then the quality of Order, Order Mencius penalty saves like it really was top drawer entertainment and uh, it, it was no surprise that everyone at the back of the Pro Park press box had left their work to kind of tune into it because uh, we hadn't been treated to too much excitement beforehand in Pro Park but, but it, it was gripping TV yeah, you really drew the short straw work-wise yesterday, Frank, being stationed at Croke Park when there was such a, a riveting Ulster final uh, on up in Clonus, Connor. And it was like an interesting juxtaposition, just as you said, the Ulster final, like everything good about the Provincials pretty much on show, like a gripping final. And then, you know, a few hours earlier, we had Desi Farrell coming out after the game and basically like kind of basically completely rubbishing the whole affair, basically saying what what's the point of these things going forward. And it was an interesting day for that kind of like yin and yang of the whole thing. Yeah, and I would imagine that the proponents of maintaining the Ulster Championship or the provincial championships would be delighted with the schedule. And that's you know the the last note that was sounded of the provincial series was the Ulster final. Um, but like I can't imagine that there is a justifiable argument for whatever about retaining like they don't fit between the league and the All Ireland Championship and the and the Talton Cup. That's just the fact now. Like they make no sense. They they stand out a mile. You know, if you want to play them at the start of the year, you know, instead of the, the pre-season competitions and do them that way, then you say you, you can devalue them, but they're devalued already. You know, like if teams want to win their provincial championships, well, then they retain its value by putting out the strong teams. But they make they make no sense anymore. We've had three horrendous provincial finals this year. Really, really poor. And outside of Ulster, you could count the number of decent games we've had in the provincial championships on the fingers of one hand and you wouldn't get beyond the third or fourth finger so I mean I can't see why they're gobbling up so much of the prime time in this year's championship because like look at our man now like they're going into you know, they played four games in Ulster and they've lost the penalty shootout against Derry after an incredibly attritional game that went to extra time and now they're going to be in the same All-Ireland series as Dublin who played three games or Kerry who played two games Um. And it just it doesn't make a whole pile of sense. So uh yeah, you can you know, you can make any arguments you want that you know the Ulster chapter bizarre that's good about provincial football. But if they te- you know, if Ulster counties take it that seriously and they want to retain it and they want to put that sort of value in it, well they'll, they'll do the same thing if the games are in February or March. And I saw another um I saw another idea that somebody has um, which is to kind of sprinkle the provincial championship games in amongst the league games, you know, that 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 it's almost 
you know, not a not a linear competition. You know, you play these games on off weeks, um, and you kind of disperse them that way. But in my opinion, the, the the way they go, because we're ready for the championship when the league ends. You know, teams are are revving up. You can see who's taking shape, and then you go into this awful lull. Like the Dublin game yesterday, besides the fact that it was so one sided, I kind of had the feeling beforehand that Dublin year as an extended preseason because there have been so many changes to the team that hadn't put out a settled side and the form wasn't particularly good um, and I think that kind of I think that was proven yesterday I think yesterday was the first time Desi Farrell fielded the strongest team um, and that's in a provincial final so you know it's still a very unfair system and, and it just doesn't make sense wherever it is and I don't think having an Ulster final for the ages um, is quite the saving grace of the provincial competitions make you think that they are yeah, Frank. For, from De- you know Desi Farrell's comments, like you were there yesterday, you, you kind of heard them firsthand. Like, wh- what did you make of them? What, like, for people who mightn't have seen them, like, what was his overall point? Well, you see, Desi would have probably made similar points back in his GPA days. You know that uh, he, he wasn't shouting it from the rooftops. Desi rarely does in these interviews, but he was just asked the question straight up uh, by a journalist who would have witnessed. You know what we've seen over the last two weekends, where three out of the four provincial finals into kind of turkey shoots, landslides, whatever word you want to use. And he just said, look, um, you know, it's time for a review. And it's, I mean, that's patently obvious it's time for a review. I mean, this year's provincial championships, in a way, they were only saved in the early weeks by the jeopardy of the Talented Cup. And we had several matches where if result, result in match A went a certain way, you know, a, a heavyweight or what used to be a heavyweight county would end up in the Tatton Cup. And there's great kind of drama around that. And people from other provinces were checking in and, and looking out for results based on that. But, I mean, you strip that away and, and what are you left with? Um, Dublin's form has been up and down all year, but they're still coming out of a provincial championship where they won their three matches by 50 points. 27 points against Leash, 2 points against Kildare. That shows the way their form has been kind of going up and down. And then 21 points against Lowell. And if you were watching the last 10 minutes in Crow Park uh, yesterday, they got two of their five goals. Uh, Paddy Small, Connie Basquel. They could have got at least another two in that period. I mean, every time they they broke beyond midfield, you're saying, oh my God, it's four on two or it's five on three. And... It's only that Dublin kind of butchered a couple of chances or didn't play the right ball at the right time. You know, the scoreline could have been even worse. It could have been an actual record Leinster final defeat, which would have been terrible for Loud, given, you know, it's so rare that they get to these finals. But that's where we're at. And I mean, after the final, I said that I, I must work out the average of Dublin's wins during this 13-year 30, sequence. And in finals, in Leinster finals, not just all the matches, their average win is over 12 points per game. And that's factoring in, in a couple of three-point wins at the very start of this of this sequence, you know, where they weren't hammering everyone out the gate. So, like, you know, everyone goes there expecting a double-digit outcome. And that can't be good. 
yeah, it'd be interesting to see what the future holds for them. As, as Connor said, will they be played at different times of the year or will they be further even decoupled from, from the All-Ireland Series? Now, Connor, now that we have gotten to this stage of the year and the All-Ireland Series kicks off next weekend, we now know the identity of all the groups. Like, Are you excited for what's to come over the next couple of weeks? Is this going to be a really kind of cut and thrust, exciting, competitive period with a lot of good games, do you expect? Or if you look at the, the actual structure, like they're playing 24 matches to only eliminate four teams. And in each of the groups, there's kind of like an obvious candidate of maybe a team who, who might come bottom of the table. So are we going to be kind of looking at a lot of games where we're kind of thinking, we, we've played a lot of matches here and we haven't really gotten a huge end result at the end of it. Yeah, maybe. But like, you know, this is effectively a less exclusive version of the Super 8s. You know, like I was a tentative supporter of the Super 8s. I, I, I thought the premise of them, that Kerry getting two games to go through to an All-Ireland semi-final or an All-Ireland quarter-final and, you know, Tyrone having to play five or whatever, you know, it, 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 technically everybody was starting from the same position. They had to play the same number of group games to get out. Um, but the problem with that was that, you know, you had these eight teams who in summer was elongated by at least three big championship games while everybody else was at home to whittling their tunnels. Um, kind of, you know, that only underlined the disparity, you know, in opportunity for teams to, to grow. Whereas now all 32 counties are starting their All-Ireland Championship, be it the Talton Cup or the All-Ireland Series. The way the competition is structured, the first and second seeds will play each other on the final day and the third and fourth seeds will play each other on the final day. And it means that there will be no, you know, the chances are there'll be very few dead rubbers. Um, and the difference for the All-Ireland contenders, the doubles, Galway's carries those teams between finishing first in the group or second and third is enormous. Because if you top the group, you go straight into a quarter-final. If you finish second or third, you'll end up playing three weeks in a row. And by the third week, you'll meet a group winner who's had a week off. So I think there is a huge premium on top topping the group. Um, so we will have excitement right up to the final round. Um, and ultimately, this is what we all want. We want a championship that's inclusive for as many teams as is viable. Now, you could argue that there are maybe four or five teams that possibly shouldn't be competing at this level. Um, but, you know, you have to make the cutoff points somewhere. Uh, and it's it's technically, it's fair insofar as everybody has a chance to qualify for it and everybody has to play the same number of games to, to get through. And by incentivizing finishing top of the group, I think we'll have plenty of drama and storylines and excitement right up until the last group stages. So, I don't think it's the perfect kind of formula or anything like it, but it, it's definitely an awful lot closer than we've been um, in my memory anyway. Mm. And we're starting off with a couple of big games, Kerry versus Mayo and Galway Tyrone to, to kick things off uh, this coming weekend. Frank, you know, how are you assessing the, the rankings then going into this in terms of who's favourite, who, who's coming up on the rails? Because, you know, as we mentioned there, teams are coming in with very different bodies of work, like some provincial winners have been playing up to just last weekend. Mayo, who were kind of the hot team earlier, that, their last game was on April 9th against Roscommon in the championship a week after winning the league. So they've kind of been able to build away from the limelight. Like, does that change things for you in terms of how you're assessing teams coming into it? Not necessarily, because we've got to remember that some of those provincial winners have been playing matches that won't have exercised them too. Two on Julie, like you know, I mean, Kerry last weekend against Clare, Galway against Sligo. Galway had won, we could say, a relatively tough match in the championship so far against Roscommon. But I mean, I, I was just thinking that this morning, where do we where do we put them? And and it's a little bit difficult to completely judge where Dub where the likes of you can say Kerry and Dublin and Galway at because we haven't seen them in really really tough matches for a few weeks, but. 
I would think they are, I think Kerry are still probably, Kerry are number one there to be shot down and they deserve to be that. I would probably have Dublin next, Galway at three and kind of coming closely behind them, there's probably maybe three teams, I'd say Mayo, Tyrone, Derry and Armagh maybe as a dark horse. I, I uh, and, and, and I still have my doubts that Armagh would be quite good enough to, you know, to even necessarily get to a semi-final but the uh, the All-Ireland isn't going to be 1B isn't going to come beyond that even Roscommon who are the nearest the nearest to that and then you go the the bottom 8 we call them the bottom 8 teams in this top 16 they're not going to win an All-Ireland and there's around 4 or 5 teams who you'd say are going to struggle big time to even get to a prelim, preliminary quarter final Would your top 3 be, be similar to Frank's Connor? Yeah, the only slight difference I would have had was I'd have had Derry vying with Galway for third spot. Um, you know, I think Derry have been outstanding this season, and and they play a, a genuinely different kind of uh, kind of football. And all their best players are coming into form, and Kieran McFall is back in the squad. Um, but I think the absence of Rory Gallagher, you know, eventually will tell because he has been such an elemental part of their setup and such an influential figure there. Um, you know Galway are a really exciting team because they're so good defensively and I think the return of Ian Burke could kind of unleash the full potential of that forward line as well he's a very creative player um, Dublin I didn't really know what to expect I thought they were maybe the, the least predictable of the All-Ireland contenders until yesterday because they've been rejigging the team so much but um, you know yesterday they brought back all the big ones and you can see what Brian Howard did and you know Sean Bugler maintains that form they do have one or two questions to answer about defence where there's a couple of big players missing and even if everyone's there they still have a couple of questions in defence um, but I would have Kerry definitely out in front you know they have the best forward in the game at the moment they have a couple of like you know in, in Paddy Clifford and Sean O'Shea they've another two of the top six or seven forwards in the country and their defensive system I think has got not that's gone under the radar but it's not really talked about as much when we watch Kerry you know, we tend to focus on all the great things that Clifford does and their great attacking play, but they've conceded one goal in seven championship matches under Jack O'Connor. Um, they have completely, uh, they've completely addressed the weakness that they had prior to that, and you know, through kind of tactical setup as opposed to bringing in new defenders necessarily, they've become the best defensive team in the country. So, um, you know, by virtue of the fact that they haven't done anything wrong since last year, and you know, it wasn't kind of a creaking old team that won the All-Ireland last year where players were kind of injured and patched up. You know, the age profile of the squad, they're, they're just coming into their prime now. Um, and I would I, I can't see any reason why they wouldn't be favourites going into the All-Ireland series now. Yeah, Frank, like it was talked about a few weeks ago, maybe coming uh, post-league, that it was one of the most open football championships we'd had in maybe in, since the start of the qualifier era almost. Like, do you still see it that way? Or, or, do you, or is that top three for you like a good bit ahead of you know, teams coming down, you know, you mentioned Mayo, Derry, potentially Tyrone as well. well I, like it, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say they're a, a, a great deal ahead. I mean, I, I still think it is relatively open and, and we're going to learn an awful lot more over the next few weeks, even though there's only going to be four teams eliminated and all the heavyweights are almost certainly going to get through to at least a pre, pre, preliminary quarterfinal into the last 12. We're going to see signs. We're going to discover way way more about how teams are shaping up form of players injury scenarios all that than we have over the last five or six weeks of kind of provincial shadow boxing we call it and um, i still think it is relatively open 
I don't think there's a team miles ahead of anyone else. I mean, you know, um, it's still a big ask for Mayo to win in All Ireland. But like, you know, coming out of winning the league title, everyone was saying, "Look how uh, Kevin McStay has refreshed them. Look at the options they've developed. The forwards who were injured, crotch last year, are suddenly back, all fit, and buying." But We've nearly forgotten about them now because, you know, they went out a week later on a very dank, wet, miserable day against Roscommon. We're undone. But maybe that defeat, the timing of it, might be a blessing in disguise for Mayo. And maybe what happened to Ron in the second half against uh, Monaghan would be a blessing in disguise for them. Because they've been able to go away for five or six weeks, um, presumably sort out several injury issues, fatigue, tactical tweaks that they needed to work on and now they're going back into action now uh, Toronto are going into a pretty tough group they've got Galway there they've got Armagh there but Westmead would look a long long way behind the top three teams in that group so they should still be standing at the end of this three game sequence and um, same applies for same applies to Mayo I mean uh, the, the intriguing factor would have been if Dublin had somehow lost aloud yesterday, we would have had Kerry, Mayo and Dublin in the one group and that would have been, that would have made for great entertainment. Even if they all still got through, we would have had some really brilliant clashes over the coming weeks. But, you know, it's hard to see uh, Mayo as well as Kerry not coming through a group that has Loud and Cork in it. Yeah, Loud play Cork, I think, in the first game as well, in Loud. So that's, that, that's kind of a, the big one there, almost straight out the gate. The loser there potentially well, could if, be. If, a we, if we qualify, if we qualify Navin as loud, because I'm afraid they don't have venue capable oh, yeah. of owning this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's like a couple of like you know Sligo Kildare. That's probably Sligo's most winnable game, and that's this weekend as well. So there's a couple of uh, of, intri- of intriguing ones. Connor, like, what do you think about versus Frank's point about you know the teams who have the long layoff coming into it versus the teams who've had you know, various degrees of provincial difficulties. Obviously, the Ulster Championship w- was the toughest one, but is there any benefits or, or negatives, do you think, to having been kind of away from kind of competitive matches for the last while? No, I think that, like it, I think it just comes down to, it's one of those things you look back in hindsight and whoever wins the All-Ireland will all sit around and say, well, the, the thing that they did was the way to go, but it mightn't necessarily have anything to do with that, ultimately. Um, like, I'm sure for Mayo, it was much easier to pack off the loss to Roscommon. Okay, Here's the Connacht Championship. We didn't win it. We did win the league. Now the All-Ireland Series starts in six weeks. And like any manager would tell you that six weeks is a fantastic block to have when you're going into a competition where you have to play three group games in four weeks and then you could be playing another four games and then another five or six weeks if you go as far as an All-Ireland final. So there's positive and negatives to both. And like, you know, I I do believe that Dublin were were basically using the Leicester Championship as a bit of a pre-season as well. You know, I'm not sure that their preparations for the for the group, the group stages of the All Ireland series, would have been a whole lot different from Mayo's, other than the fact that they had those competitive games in the championship. Um, and I'm not sure to what extent those games actually are going to do them any good in the long run. Like they, they, they blitzed loud when it was very obvious that Dublin's firepower was going to blitz loud uh, when they set up that way. Um, the Kildare game, Dublin sort of didn't get off the mark at all. And, and that's probably the area that they're going to focus most on, you know, when a team locks up and tries to make make it difficult. Um, you know, do, do they still have the kind of the know how and the patience and and the work in the bank done to kind of break it down? But, you know, it's funny to talk about the All Ireland series and the quality of it, the inherent quality of the thing. And now Dublin are playing 
you know, Roscommon and Kildare and Sligo to get into an All-Ireland quarterfinal. Um, you know, I, I, I think that's maybe why we saw the full Dublin yesterday, the closest representation, because there was so much on the line in terms of the difference between winning that game and not winning it. I think they had no choice but to kind of roll out the big one. So, yeah, like to answer your question, I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any right or wrong way to do it. And I would imagine over the next few years, uh, you know, we'll encounter teams that did it different ways and it worked to their benefit. But I think one thing that would be very, very obvious um, over the next few years if we retain this system beyond this year is the number of teams that win the All-Ireland from top in their group as opposed to second or third. I think there'd be a very direct correlation between that. So if you bring that forward to the Mayo-Kerry game next week, you know, the chances are whoever wins that game will top the group. Um, so there's a huge kind of premium on that because as I said, you finish second in that group and that means you play your final group game, a preliminary quarterfinal and a quarterfinal on three weekends in a row. Um, and that's a very serious ask for any team, no matter how deep your squad is. So, you know, like straight away, there's a lot on the line and there's jeopardy and we'll only really figure it out as we go along. But I think that's kind of nearly part of the fun of it this year. Yeah, as you said, Kerry Mayo really is poised nicely th- this weekend. And as for Dublin's group, at least that Dublin Kildare game has a lot more spice, you know, post the Glen Ryan comments and, and how close that game was. Ordinarily, we mightn't have looked at it as one to circle on the fixture list, but it, but it looks looks a bit tastier than usual. Frank, the, the Tauchin Cup is also up and running as well. You know, what's your interest level like in that in terms of is there any teams you're particularly intrigued to see again or is it very much off-Broadway now that the All-Ireland uh, series is, is going to be up and running? Well, no, the Westmead won it last year and I'm no interest in it at all this year. No, I'm only talking. <laughs> Um, I I only got some brief highlights there last night uh, when I got home from the the Leinster final, um, and there was you know there was there seemed to be a lot of excitement. I mean, I I thought the Carlo win over Wichita. I mean, it just the, the the manner of it showed that even within these we call off Broadway matches that don't really uh, mean a whole lot to anyone but the two competing counties. There can be great excitement and an awful lot on it. I mean, Carlo have endured a pretty tough time over the last few years. We once upon a time there was this thing called the Carlo Rising. I think it was, was it 2018 or 2019. We've all forgotten about it. Carlo kind of gone back into the nether regions of the football world, but that win will have been huge for them. And coming against a Wicklow team who have you know delivered a lot for uh, Ushin McConnell in his first year, so um, you know. It, we will see stories now over the over the coming weeks. It's it's a little bit different this year because everyone has got three games. It's a group. It's not straight knockout. So we may not see, you know, the full excitement levels creep up for another week or two. But um, we got to factor in, like we're talking about top 16 teams competing for the Sam Wire. And even within that, we can see several strata. And we have six or seven or eight counties in that group, we would probably reckon have no chance of winning in All-Ireland. So you've got another 16 here, and within that group, you'll probably have five, six, or seven counties. Is it? If we, can, if we can get our act together here, develop some momentum, we can win a national trophy. So, I mean, um, you know, despite what, what Donald Cusick may have said last Friday morning, and... Uh, you know, this is this is not. It's not fair to you know describe this as a competition for you know Sam Wire also runs. It's a genuine chance for these counties to try and win some silverware, and we can see the excitement that it brings when some of these counties win Division Three or Four league titles. 
this is even bi- uh, this should be an even bigger deal for them. Yeah, and even the scenes from West Meadow last year were great. Like the homecoming was great, was greeted like it was a, a, a major trophy. Connor, we had Martin Brenny on last week, and he was saying that like one of his things he doesn't like about it this year anyway is that like a team like Mead is in it who he feels that aren't aren't. It's, it wasn't what the Talton Cup was designed for, is for a, a team like me to be in it. And I know they're there because of their results, so they're there on, on merit. But is there like an argument for maybe if we had like a 12-team, another 12-team second tier and an 18-team third tier, that that would be maybe more representative of the, the differentiations and quality. And it would give smaller teams an opportunity to win a, 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 you know, a, a All-Ireland or a national title, whereas in the Talton Cup, the bottom eight are probably still a good bit off Mead and, and other teams like that. Yeah, maybe, but uh, like, I mean, I can't agree with Martin at all. Like, you know, like, it's, like sport is the last sort of meritocracy on earth. And if we if we go around making excuses for teams because they won All Ireland twenty years ago, I mean, like, what's what's the point of that? Like, are me the are me the a big football county at the moment? They're not. Like, you know, club boys they don't go beyond me. They, they never really win Leinster. They've had plenty of opportunity to make the All Ireland series, and you can make the argument, okay, they're not going to. Um, develop and progress as much as they would in the All-Ireland series. But I don't know how Mead will compete in the All-Ireland series this year. I'm not sure they'd compete any better than Saigo are going to compete. So I don't see that argument with them at all. And I was at the Talton Cup um, launch last Monday and it was a very well-run event. And the the sense that you got from the players involved, and this was the big question over the Talton Cup last year when it came in, was would the players commit to it or would they take the opportunity of going out at the championship early to go off traveling and play football in America and and all that sort of stuff. And so far as we can make out so far, there's very little evidence of players leaving. And the, the, the and it was an overwhelming vibe last Monday that all those players realized that they'd been given a chance through the league to qualify for the All-Ireland Series and that they were delighted to have an opportunity now to play in a competition where everybody was starting from the same um, starting from the same level, we interviewed footballer from Wicklow, from Carlo, and um, you know from Waterford, who were in the lower reaches of Division Four this year, and all of them felt that, you know, if the county kind of get, gets their act together, they can make big progress very quickly and they compete at that level, and that's the really key thing. Like it's a sixteen-team tournament, but like all of those players there felt that they could get out of their group. That's a good thing to have in a competition, um, and I think making it a three-tier team would just seem a little bit too gimmicky. I don't think that the that the disparity in standards is quite as um, I don't think quite as stretched as it is in hurling, where you need all these various different grades. And um, I think in football, teams that are lower in Division Four can compete easier with teams that are higher in Division Three. They have that potential. It's not beyond them if they have a good season. So, no, I think the situation at the moment is as good as it's going to be. Um, and I still think that the biggest problem is the provincial championships and the influence that they have on the entire football calendar. Um, but I would imagine, I would imagine we're going to have a good Talton Cup this year. And you know, it's not just going to be a case of a Mead or another uh, team who else was relegated from Division Two this year. Um, Mead, well, no, not Clare because they. Got through the thing, but it, like I don't, I don't think it's as straightforward as one of the top teams in Division Three. You know, a Cavan or a are going to win it now, just because you know on league ranking they're up there. Those teams are pretty much of a standard, um, and I, I don't think it's beyond any of the teams to get out of the group and get back to a semi-final. And I think that's as good as we're going to have it in football. 
Yeah, but even Wexford getting a draw with Fermanagh in the opening, you know, in their opening fixture shows that maybe, yeah, to your point, that there's not as quite a big as gap as as we might have thought. But for the moment, I'd like to thank Connor and Frank for joining me on this week's episode of the Throwing Football Show. We will be back next week looking back on the opening round of the All-Ireland Series. And in the meantime, you can subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or listen on independent.ie. So until next time, thanks for listening and goodbye. <laughs>